else something I said? Look here, look here. You know what I said all along? I'm sure maybe I read somewhere, um, you know, I speak my mind and I talk about some issues. I'll tell it like it is. I don't know if you ever heard about, uh, you know, how the philosophy of the sales orgs goes. We, you know, we don't give a flying fuck about the others. All we care about is our own. And all I've been saying for fucking years to all these stupid fucking experts. Hey, you know what the experts are telling you? The podcasts have to be boring. Y'all do me a favor. Y'all turn around and look at each other right now. Y'all turn around and look at all these motherfucking people here. And obviously somebody's wanting to hear something that fucking these experts are telling you you ain't supposed to be hearing. Alright, well, check this out. Welcome, friends. Have no fear, Salescast is here. Alright, dude. This episode is crazy. Totally insane. Um, just, I don't know, mind-blowing experience. Me and, and Josh Braun on a recorded line. Like, just talking about how to write emails. Like, I don't know, just having the conversation. Some of the Zoom calls that I've been on in the past couple of days have just been like... Like, I would have never believed you a year ago if you explained it to me. Like, if you said, this is a, you know, if you described my day-to-day life to me one year ago today and said this is what it's going to be like a year from now, there's, I mean, I'd say 0% chance. Like, you're going to be... <laughs> I do the most irresponsible things with my money. Like, I don't even make that much money, dude. I just, I'm just not drowning for the first time in my life. So I spend money like a child. Like, I'm, I'm wearing like, uh, Eddie Chen Fearless Jordans to Walgreens. (laughs) And like, I have two more pairs that are in the mail on the way. Like, it's just not. Not financially prudent. Um, Josh has has some good advice for me in this episode. He's like very fatherly, and it's just cool, you know. It's just very cool. So I don't know. My life's going cool. Alright, I'll see you guys. It seems like it's like everything when you say it, it seems obvious until someone says it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just FYI, I just started the recording. I, I'm okay. still, I'm still on that point though, because um, I, I was just having this conversation uh, the, you know, with one of the people that reached out to me about training after, you know, he watched the the cold call post or something. One of the videos that you made, 
inspired him to reach out. And the conversation that we had was, he, he said, I really just like your approach. It's like, you're very, very practical. Um, <laughs> and it's because I'm, I'm in the sales reps chair yes. and I'm like trying to pay my bills and like those efficiency, those like things that are, um, you know, footnotes to leadership are like live and die to me. Um, you know, like those efficiency hacks. Well, that's the difference, right? Between like someone like you or like me or John Burr, like you're in it, right? You're in it. Like I was in it when I was your age. I'm not as in it anymore. Like you're in it. And so mm -hmm. therefore you have the ability to be able to shine a light and show people things that most people could not do because they like, for instance, if I was interviewing any other sales trainer or coach, I could never say to them, share your screen. Like I knew I could say it with you because you've got like substance, like you can't fake it. But a lot yeah. of sales, myself included, like I, I couldn't have done that. I don't think on the fly like that because you, because you do it all the time. And you didn't know I was going to throw gong at you. You, didn't, you had no idea. No. It no. didn't matter though, because I knew like whatever it was, dude, that's what you do all day. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I've got like anywhere from one to five companies a day that I'm looking at and trying right. to figure out how do I write right. this message. So like right. when it's gong, it's like, I already kind of know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but I mean, even, even then, like, even though I already, I already kind of know what I was going to do, it still ends up being like a little bit choppy as you're trying to explain. But that's it. what makes it real. That's what made yeah. it good. I thought yeah. it's like, you're seeing it in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Like in real time, like, this is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm pulling yeah. from. Yeah. This is how I'm compiling all the info. And I was Great. doing like, um, as an exercise to like, just show what the process is like, because, I didn't need that much research on Gong. I mean, realistically, if I needed to write an email for Gong, I'm just going for a stat or two. Like I'm going right, right to the case study, pulling the stat and da, 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 da. It's the same template I send out all the time. But there's like dozens of people sending our templates and there's like millions of other people that are not. Yeah. So it's like dozens versus millions, right? I mean, that's, that's right. why it still works. Like I can just slap right. a template out there and it works awesome. okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I was really hoping to just like hear a little bit more about you and like get, get to know you a little bit better. Like, I mean, I know that you joke about the Nickelodeon thing all the time, but like, man, I grew up watching Clarissa explains it all, <laughs> you know, like in, in Josh Braun was on the set, like getting sandwiches or something like what, what was that? Yeah. So I, I, I was, uh, I always tell people I was on Nickelodeon. That's true. I worked on a show called Clarissa Explains It All. Sounds like you're familiar with it. And my job was to actually make sure that there was no rind on the fruit so that when Melissa Hart would eat the fruit, she would not complain. Uh, so called craft services, but it's just a fancy way of saying the person that actually gets the food. Um, one interesting story that happened to me, the producer was Mitch and he had very strong opinions about what food he wanted to eat on certain days, especially if there were people coming in from out of town. And on this one day, he said, Josh, I need you to go to this Mexican place and we need like 70 tacos. And I need them back here by one o'clock because everyone has to be done eating at two so that we're not running late. When you do TV, if you're running late, it costs all sorts of money. So this stuff really matters. If I can't get the tacos back by one, it's a big problem. Mm -hmm. So I go to the place, the guy said, I'll pick them up They'll be ready at 1215. Nickelodeon was like 10 minutes away from the place. I get there and the guy hasn't started the order yet. Turns out that the three cooks like didn't show up. And so the guy's <laughs> trying to do it by himself. It's like, the only way to get this done is if you come back here and help me make the tacos. 
Unbelievable. So I go back there and I'm, and I'm making the tacos and I got them back there like at 105. But that was my, that's my Nickelodeon. That's my fun Nickelodeon story. It sounds stressful, to be honest. It sounds like a, <laughs> not a, as stressful a low, as cold calling, but yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, a, a thankless job, you know? Yeah, but it was it was a, it was a, it was a good experience. But I, I I got into um, I got into this for a little bit of a different reason. So when I was maybe a little bit younger than you, even what I really struggled with as a salesperson, I had a lot of hard time with anxiety selling. Like I just was really anxious. Um, I had pits in the stomach. Mm-hmm. I really had this feeling of this debilitating feeling of rejection, and for many years. Um, until I was able to actually see somebody for this problem. I actually saw a psychologist because it was ruining my life. Like I yeah. was, I was not leading a healthy lifestyle. I'm pretty healthy now, but back then it was really, it was killing me. And what I learned was that I was actually attaching my self-worth to the sale or the meeting. So that when I picked up the phone, if somebody said no, I would feel like I wasn't worthy. The, in, the extrinsic motivation was the meeting. And when I didn't get it, I felt awful. And that set forth this whole downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really wanted people to feel that way um, again. And so I, I kind of stumbled across this approach in working with a coach, this guy named Ari, uh, to, to sort of detach from the outcome and to be indifferent to it and to be okay if they want to continue the conversation or not. And to have this different mindset when I was picking up the phone. And once I adopted that, I sounded less salesy. I sounded less needy. I sounded more conversational like you do on the phone now, maybe instinctually. Um, and then changed the whole game for me. And so now I just try to teach people, you know, some of that uh, mindset stuff, which I think is so core to success that yeah. you actually probably have inherently. Well, I mean, I think the reason that I do is because I did a few different jobs and, uh, you know, I, I had kind of walked a mile um, in another career already. Um, so I, I had some life experience. I had some work experience um, walking into the profession um, versus somebody that just got out of school and is basically like taking their first job and you don't know what anything is yet. You don't have anything to compare it against. Like I was, you know, um, throwing trash on a garbage truck and then, uh, you know, I, I taught high school and then I was, um uh, doing actuary work and, and, uh, you know, do, do spreadsheets for insurance companies and stuff. Um, and then from there, you know, met the brokers, realized I wanted to get um, into sales so that I could make some money and started selling life insurance, which is a lot harder than selling software. Um, so when I walked in and had to call the credit unions, it was like easy. I mean, it was just, it was easy for me. Like it, it wasn't, um, as much of a challenge as it was for everybody else, which then caused me to um, sort of look after everybody, you know, which which then everything started to come into play. Like all the life experience that I had built up until that point started to come into play like all at once. Um, but every step of the way up until there, it felt really sketchy. So you never went through the stage that I went through. It doesn't sound like where you felt like, anxiety and kind of pits in the stomach and well always always whenever i mean cold calling is really hard it always tastes like glass um (laughs) it it just always does it always tastes like glass and then some people acquire the taste for it and some don't 
Um, you know, it's, it's always like a little bit nerve wracking, um, especially the beginning of the day to pick up the phone and call somebody that's not expecting you to call them and to interrupt them and try to sell them something. I mean, gosh, yeah, that is, um, but, but, but have you gotten more, you've gotten more comfortable with it from a, from a, I'm always really interested in intent. Cause I, I do think intent can make the call feel less stressful and have less anxiety. Like I, I know that when I first started out in sales and my intent was I got to book this meeting to like hit quota, I, I would just get crazy. I would, I would sound different on the phone. Um, I would get really, I'd beat myself up bad if the call didn't go well, meaning the meeting didn't book. Um, I, I eventually started to, to detach from that over the course of time. And I ended up getting more calm, um, which like you and Justin, Justin's really good at this. Like he, I've listened to him call. I'm like, geez, man, this guy's like, nothing bothers him. Nothing. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I watched him uh, some competition. I don't remember the name of it. They were doing like some cold calling competition where they were keeping score of stuff. Uh -huh. um, and I, I listened to him for like two hours. I think he booked one or two meetings, but you would think that he booked 90. Like, I don't think there would have been any difference in his expression, <laughs> whether he booked 90 or 10. And to me, that shows that he's just kind of like, he's detached from it. Not that he doesn't yeah. want to do a good job, but he's not like, he's okay if the person wants to continue the conversation, he's okay if they don't um, versus yeah. some other people that I listen to where you can feel like they, it got to them more. I think that um, uh, experience is the enemy of fear. So the more experienced you are, the more that you can understand what's about to happen, what all the, what all the potential outcomes are of this call and this conversation and, you can kind of just see it all. Like you've had every conversation, every which way possible already. There's no, no, nobody's going to surprise you with anything. So you're, you're, right. you're out in front of it now and it's in, you probably have more money in your bank account. So it's not as stressful. Right. I mean, the, the counterintuitive thing is like, you know, the more stress that's on there, the more you uh, get anxiety about it, but then that actually reduces your performance. Right. Like if you don't yeah, have enough exactly, money, that's exactly right to buy lunch, then that's going to be a lot more stressful of a day than, you know, the guy that's wearing Air Jordans and, and is ordering a pizza. Completely. Yeah. If you, if that's, that's exactly it. Like when people have a hard time detaching, it's when they don't have enough, right? Like if, if your quarter is going to be made or broken based on this call and you only have like one opportunity in the pipeline, you're going to be attached like to the yeah. outcome. Versus yep. if you feel very confident that you can, you know, start conversations with people, then you just, you just don't sound that way. You just sound yeah. completely different. And now that's I, the skill of it. I, I think that, I mean, the real difference maker for me, what, like the reason why I was able to excel like right away is because um, I backed into the career. Um, meaning like I had already tried really, really hard to do other things like, um, uh, getting your math chops together to to get one of these actuary exams done is like not an easy task. And it, I mean, I, ultimately, like I wasn't even built for it, but I could force myself to do it. So I had put yeah. in like so much time and energy and effort into doing something like that, that uh, when I got the job at the insurance company and I see the brokers are like playing mini golf in their corner offices and, you know, talking about their, their boat rides and stuff. I was like, something is wrong here. I've worked really, really hard in comparison to like what I'm observing there. And the uh, uh, wealth inequality is, is so far off 
Like yeah. they make so much more money than I do. Like, how do I get over there? So then, I mean, every, like I was backing into everything from that. Like, okay, what do I need to do? The first person said, you need to get good on the phones. You need to be able to make cold calls. Um, just pounding the phone all day. That has to not bother you. So I said, okay, uh, how do I figure out how to do that? And I started Googling stuff. I mean, I, I literally like backed into yeah. the career instead of getting a job at a SaaS company and then going, okay, what should I do? Right. It was right. like, you know, I, I had already tr- covered so much ground by the time I walked in that it was like, uh, you know, I just, I hit the ground running. We got your reps in. Yeah. You, you kind of got your reps in. And the other thing too, that I noticed about, you know, your calls and your approach when I interviewed you and listening to Justin was the, the chill factor. Like, this is the thing that I noticed with people that are really good on the phone is they're, they're, they're chill. They don't get amped up and there's not this anxiety and energy. I was listening to a call. I actually stumbled across it. I was, believe it or not, scrolling through TikTok. I can actually play this for you if you want. Maybe it'd be helpful, but yeah, this, was a sure. real, this was a real estate agent. And you know, one of these objections you'll get sometimes when someone you call someone is, you know, how'd you get this number? And it's always very confrontational. And a lot of people don't know how to handle that or diffuse that in a way that doesn't make it you know, more, more crazy. And this is just a great example when you're detached from the outcome and you're calm, how that can completely be completely different versus if you try to overcome it. Like, how'd you get this number? Hey, can I just, can I just have 27 seconds? That's going to piss mm-hmm. the person off versus, you know, this other approach. Let me actually play this for you. This is, um, this girl's name is Nikki and she's a real estate agent. Oh, I need uh, screen sharing. Oh yeah. Here you go. So this is, uh, this is Nikki and she's a, she's a real estate agent. I thought this was really great. Are you seeing this? Yes. Well, check this out. Listen to this. Nikki, how did you get this number? Uh, it's a good question. It's public records. I just uh, looked up the address and it gives me a couple phone numbers. It gave me this one. And really? Yeah, this one and another phone number ending in 6669. But I tried this one first. Funny. So uh, you don't know for sure if the person you're speaking to is actually living at the address that you're looking at. No, I'm not sure. That's why I confirm with the person on the phone. And then if I have the wrong number, then I just try the different phone number. Yeah, that's uh, okay, Nikki. That's uh, fine and dandy. I'm satisfied with your answer. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. That's weird, though. It is that's weird. weird. But uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a hard worker and I'm pretty resourceful. So I'm doing what I can do to um, help my clients and also help the people in the community. Hopefully I can help you one day. Okay, what it is you're doing again? Yeah, I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> That's a great call, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. I mean, there's a polarity shift. Like right. that concept, I feel like um, this is why I, I don't necessarily think that there is one method or, or anything. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. Like if you read gap selling, um, it goes back to stuff that you could find in Zig Ziglar. Like, I mean, there's just not that m- many different ways that you can repackage that type of an interaction. Right. 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 And it was good. I mean, it was good. Like I like, I have definitely used that tactic. Like I think I even met, might've talked through it on your show, like just being honest, like just <laughs> look, it, where'd you get this number? Oh, it was publicly listed. I found it in this database. Do you want to know where it was? Look, I got this other number too. Right. It's just, you know, radical candor. Right. But that, but a lot of people like I, you'll find this interesting. Maybe I did this poll on LinkedIn a couple months ago. Um, I, I said to people, Hey, you, you cold call prospect prospect picks up. 
They say they're at the gym. What do you say? 84, I think about 400 responses, 84% of them were in the bucket of some version of when can I call you back? I'll try it after you get done. How's Tuesday at three? When can we meet? You know, it was, it was mm-hmm. that. And then the other smaller percentage was some version of, you know, you're doing back and buys, you're doing chest and tries, which goes to show you that most salespeople are focused on intent. Cause that's an intent thing. Like my intent is the book. I got to mm-hmm. overcome this as opposed to like, no, they're actually at the gym. It's not an objection. They're actually at the gym. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were actually doing a, a training the other day. Um, and it, something similar came up. They're like, oh, well, how do you handle it when, when they object and they say that they're, they're fine with everything that they're doing? And I'm like, well, maybe they're fine with everything that they're doing and they don't need to buy any software. I mean, that's like, if you look at the numbers, the 2% of the market is in an active buying window. Um, 40% at most is experiencing some type of latent pain that you could uncover, but you have to imagine six out of 10 times you're, you're going to get legitimately stonewalled on, even on, on the ones you can connect on. You, most of the time they're just ghosting you, right? You're not think, connecting. Do you, some and, of that, do you think some of that though is, I mean, I agree with you, but there, there's also a part of me that, you know, everybody that you call is using something. Everyone's solving the problem. They're not expecting your call. Do you mm-hmm. think some of this is the rep not asking the right question? Like, you know, like, yeah. You know, how, how are you currently handling X? You know, how are you preventing Y? Well, I think it, it the, this is part of the, the plague of the industry is that it's a six to 18 month role. So there's not enough time for the SDR to really develop a really rich, deep yeah. understanding of the space and be able to speak to it at the level that it needs to be addressed um, so that you can yeah. build credibility really quickly, like inside of 30 seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, like, the, the, yeah, they turn, they turn so quick or they, they get promoted or something. Yeah. They just, they just want to go to AE cause that's where all the money is, you know? And it's, yeah. I don't, I mean, how could you blame someone? You're 22 years old and the right. people around you, your coworkers are making 180 right. grand a year. Right. 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 <laughs> you I, know? I couldn't, couldn't agree more, but, it, but, but if you're an AE, you might be full cycle, you know, cause you, cause it's like you, the muscle atrophies, right? Like if you don't use it, yeah. Like if you didn't, it if you totally didn't do this stuff so much, you wouldn't be as, you know, it, it, you'd, you'd get rusty. I would imagine. Oh, oh, for sure. Even, even on calls, like I don't really make cold calls anymore. And like, I'm nowhere near at the same yeah. sharpness level that I was three years ago. Right. Like I'm not even close anymore. Justin kept up with it. You know, he's, he's <laughs> really <laughs> making a hundred dials a day for the past he's, 25 years. He's so good on the phone. He's so good on the phone. Yeah. 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 He's, I mean, yeah. Some of that, that think, he's, some of that you can coach, but some of that you can't. Yeah. It's, it's a life experience. It's really yeah. like, I think you, you mentioned it when you came into the discord too. It's like, he yeah. was like talking about like, I don't know, records that came out and, and that were contemporary with whenever the <laughs> dude he was talking to graduated from high school, like a first year rep's not going to be able to in, inject that into the conversation on the fly, you know? Yeah. He's also, you know, this is, and I think it, again, I think, I do think it kind of gets back to intent. Like he's okay. He's, he's chill, right? He's okay. Either way, man. Like he yeah. knows that he's going to see, this is the thing. Like, he's not about the conversation. He has conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the distinction. The, the S matters. If you're really fretting about the conversation, you can get stressed out. But if you are good at having conversations, then it's going to be okay. But if you're, if you're focused on the one, it's a problem, but he's like, I got this dialer. Like 
I'm going to have seven more conversations <laughs> within like 25 minutes or 30 minutes. That's it, the other thing like that, that dollar is yeah. an accelerator that they didn't have when I was young, because what, what that does really is it allows you to get more at bats in such a compressed time frame. Like I'd have mm-hmm. to dial for three years to get that experience. Like you can't practice those kind of cold calls and role play. There's nothing like the real prospect picking up, like nothing can replicate it. It's like being on center court in Wimbledon. Like you can hit around all day, but when you're on center court and you're in the finals, dude, you just nothing can prepare you for it. And you have the dialer. It just allows you to get the reps in at a much quicker you know, pace. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I discovered um, going through that process, like even just prospecting, like as a team with me and Justin, um, he was kind of like doing all of the calling and I was doing all of the emailing. Um, we discovered that like, it, he already knew this. I discovered that you didn't necessarily need to put those steps in order. Like there's nothing holding you to the idea that it has to be call step one, email right. step two, repl- right. you know, like you can disjoint those things and just yeah. run your email sequencer, read the signals at the end of the day, and then call them the next day, or you call them in the same day and do it at different times. Like it, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, it, but I, I think when I first got hired and they sat me in front of an outreach instance, like that's the only thing I knew was like, oh, this is sales is like step one right, right. call, step two email, you know? Do you still recommend orgs do that? Or do you recommend it being more fluid? Like you mentioned, which is like run them through the sequence and then only call people that are showing, you know, a score of X based on opens or clicks or. I think it depends. I mean, it just, it, it widely varies depending on what you're selling and who you're selling it to. Um, what, you know, like what sector you're in, what, um, you know, which revenue band you're in, like in enterprise, in the enterprise, like I feel the most comfortable there, even though it's like probably the most difficult, just because yeah. I really, really cut my teeth there. Like I just, right. I know what I'm looking at. I know what to do. Um, is even though it's a more complicated problem. Um, but I, I think if I'm if I'm in the enterprise and I'm and I'm trying to prospect, like I'm not sending a 25 day sequence to anybody. It's just a waste of time. I'm going to, I mean, like the quarter is going to lapse before I get my answer. Right. If I run right. people one at a time and do them 25 days each. So right. I do like a seven to 10 day sequence. That's basically like, you know, two main emails that each bump a couple of times. And then I look at the signals on it. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at like, what was, what were the opens? Like, was there anybody that opened this multiple times? Did it get forwarded to anybody? Like, I'm just trying to read the emails. If, if, uh, nothing came back at all, like it was just a complete ghost town, like not one open or whatever. I'm not going to continue to run that person more messaging. Like they're not opening my stuff. So I'm going to cut right. them and I'm going to swap them out for somebody else. Right. So it's you're like, going at a fat, like a faster clip, like you're compressing it to 10 days, doing a couple emails, a couple bumps. Yeah. Maybe you leave a voicemail message. You kind of see what the scores look like, and then you might hit the phones a little bit more. But the advantage of that is if, if it's not hitting after the seven to 10 days, it's probably not going to hit in phase 11 to 25. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I always lead with the phone too. Like if I have a phone number to call, I'm going to call first. Um, the, the reasoning here is because, believe it or not live fire on the phone converts better than email does. Yeah. If you if, get some good, if you're good on the phone. <laughs> yeah. If you're comfortable, if you, right. if you've got your talk tracks down and you know what you're talking about and you can handle that conversation, the phone converts better. Now, what, how do you get there? If you don't, if you, if you can't handle that conversation, you're not good on the phones. Well, guess what you get to do is you have to get some reps in, 
So yeah. you should lead with the phone anyway. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I just see it as like, no matter what, you have to pick up the phone and figure it out until you get good at it. And most of the um, time, you're going to probably leave a voicemail message anyway. Most of the time. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Like call, voicemail, email, LinkedIn. Right. Right. Day one. It, go to the next one. Like make a tally mark, you know, yeah. and, and do that 30 to 50 times a day. There's no way that you don't generate new business. You could make up a product and do that and you would get meetings. <laughs> we should try that pick up a product we totally could that's that i out. mean we totally could like see how many meetings you could book for a fictitious SaaS product like that I sure mean, would maybe, prove the point of like hey guys look there's a lot of this is, is consistency we've just demonstrated that we've actually made up a fictitious, a fictitious product it's a toaster oven with a usb port and uh, we booked 17 meetings just by very nature of being consistent and doing things yeah. Yeah. We added, we, we did 30 triples a day, you know, the call voicemail, email, LinkedIn play. We did 30 a day for 30 days. And this is what we got out of it. I guaranteed something would show up there. <laughs> I bet you're right, dude. <laughs> because I mean, especially if you're, you're calling into the tech industry, it's almost like, you know, you, you, you got to understand who you're working with. I, I mean, the one that I talked about with you with the credit unions was different because credit union people are not tech industry people. Tech industry people are moving super fast. They assume it's got AI. They assume the product works right. Otherwise you wouldn't be on the phone with them. You can probably get away with a lot more. Yeah. Like you could just, you know, get something right by the VP of sales just by, you know, he, he's going to be assumptive in whatever your reasoning was. Um, you know, so like, I, I think that that would actually be a good way to study. Like, what are the um, intangible parts that uh, affect the outcome of your cold calls? Yeah, it sure would be, man. And now that the tools like Gong, you could really start to dive into that, you know, too, when you actually get people, you know, connected on them. Some of it, so much of it too, is like um, picking up on like how people are feeling through their tonality. Mm. like if you have a really high IQ and you're one of these people that can be around someone and you can feel what they're feeling. Like some people are just more in tune. Like I refer to it as like a, almost like a pitchfork, you know, you can actually feel the frequency that the mm. person's on and adjust to that frequency, you know, like coming into a sales conversation, feeling like you're trying to sell someone and pitch you're at a low yes. frequency and nobody wants to be on that frequency. That's just a frequency people don't want to be tuned into. Being, when someone says, you know, I'm at the gym and even the way they say it in a tonality, you're picking up that they're like a, in a little bit of a playful mood. Like Justin's one that I heard in the discourse when the, the guy was on the boat. Like for him to say, I want to be on a boat at like three o'clock, like that worked for that guy. But I also wonder if he would have said that if the guy sounded different, like if he was more, Stir, like if his voice was more stern or standoffish, you know, because yeah. you might react differently in those situations. It's a fascinating topic because it just reminds me that there, there has to be a million things going on behind yeah. the scenes under the hood that your brain is doing for you subconsciously. That's right. You know, reacting. And, and I'm sure like I was pretty natural on the phones when I, when I showed up and like, you know, everybody was really, really impressed. But to me, I was just talking like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just having a conversation with this lady. I know that I wanted to get her on the calendar. And then I don't even know what happens when I do get her on the calendar. All I know is that that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> um, 
so it was like to me it was like it was sort of a simple problem you know it's like can i get this person somewhat the way that i explained it is i'm not trying to turn a no into a yes what i'm trying to do is convince the other person to be 51 percent sure that i might be able to help them do something about their job better yeah and if it's as soon as it's over the halfway mark 51 percent you're in because yeah. anything, anything that can tip the scales in their favor, that can give them a piece of leverage, that can help them earn more money. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why they open up to people that they don't know. The other thing too, that I see when I coach people and work with teams um, and actually been doing some stuff and I don't, are you familiar with clubhouse? You heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing some work in there and I think too, there's a, another huge gap that I'm seeing. Um, let's see the best way to explain it is um, people don't fundamentally understand how prospects are getting the job done today without them Mm -hmm. and why that really sucks relative to what they can offer. Like I call it the sort of before and after version of the infomercial and they don't have a perspective. So you might be a little young to remember. There's a very famous fitness product called P90X. It was like a DVD series, wildly successful. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm actually in the, the Nintendo generation. I was born in 1985 when the okay. Nintendo okay. came out. So you're familiar, so you're familiar with, so uh, oh, I don't, yeah. you might not know this, but that commercial, they bombed that commercial 22 times because they were saying things like, we're going to teach you how to get in shape. We're going to give you this great workout. And people were watching like, I'm already working out. And that's how salespeople mm-hmm. talk, right? Now, Tony Horton, the guy that created the workout came up with this unbelievable idea, literally two words that catapulted the company into stardom, literally nothing to like 700 million. And the two words he created were muscle confusion which he made up by the way, which was, hey, the, the problem with traditional workouts is he hit a plateau because you do the same things over and over again, your muscles don't grow and you hit a ceiling and you actually start to get weaker. What you need is to confuse your muscles. You need to do different things that they're not expecting. It's called muscle confusion. And if you buy into muscle confusion, boy, do we got a workout program for you. Like that was the perspective, right? It was the perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I talk to reps, the way they sound is we're gonna get you in better shape. What they don't see and have a hard time communicating is, well, what's wrong with how they're getting in shape today relative to what, and how does it really suck? Because if it only sucks a little bit and only working out once every five months, I don't care. And they don't, they don't have a perspective. They don't, they can't see it very clearly like an infomercial in their head. So they'll say like, well, we help them optimize their supply chain. I'm like, they're already optimizing their supply chain. No, nobody's sitting around, yeah. whatever the fuck that even means right. by the way, but no one's sitting around not doing anything. Yeah. Like everybody's doing yeah. something today. Like what is it? What exactly is broken? And can you see it? Can you, like, I use that word a lot. Can you see the, like when I was telling the P90X story or the car story or the running story, like you were able to see that movie in your head, the black and white version. Can you see it for your prospect? And the answer is usually no. And I can always tell when I put them through the exercise, which is let's take me through the black. You're making a black and white version of the commercial. Walk me through it. In the French fries, making kitchen, making fries with a knife, three hours to slice the potatoes. Some come out burnt, some come out soggy, half in the garbage can, hour and a half to clean up the kitchen. Like, I can see that. Now you go. Well, we help you optimize the supply. Well, can't see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that a, a bunch of different things happen there. Like, one of them is that the default is to convince people through the same mechanism by which you were convinced. So when you became a sales rep for the company, like what stood out to you that this was a good product that you should be selling? Um, And then that's what they go to the market with. But the problem is that the people that are buying the software don't really care about any of that. They only care about what is their individual tasks for the day, for the week, for the month. That's right. That's a great point because another thing that I see happening is they'll call the CEO talking about 
slow printers. Like CEO doesn't care about it. CEO has someone making copies. It's not the CEO's job. But that's our value proposition. I go, not to him, it's not, or her. It's not, nothing. It has to be the, your benefit only matters if it matters to the person you're talking to. Like, yeah. There's so many layers to it, right? Yeah. Because sometimes the script is awesome, but you're talking to the wrong person. So it's now, not the script. <laughs> I, I put a lot of time into thinking this through um, in trying to get it to work right. I spent about a year um, really learning sales operations, working for Fullcast. Um, they had a sales operations automation platform. So I had to learn about what each individual person was doing. What I discovered though, like that each of my prospects, it was actually impossible for me to ascertain what they were doing. They didn't expect me to. It was intentionally obfuscated. Like the, uh, you know, they, the, the way that they structured the company is not in it, for competitive advantage reasons. They don't want to put what everybody is doing publicly on their LinkedIn profile. So they don't necessarily expect you to get it perfectly. And then I realized that you could be a little bit more vague. Like I had this idea that like, oh, if I personalize the email, that'll make them respond to me. Um, but in reality, like maybe sometimes they did, but they weren't buying anything from me if they were what's, responding what, what's, what's to me. Your take, because, what's, your take, what's your take on that, dude? Because that seems to be a very polarizing topic on LinkedIn, which is I, this idea of like, yeah, personalized to the person. Uh, you know, so got to go on the LinkedIn profile. Got to find something about it. Got to reference yeah. it. What's your take on it? Because I know that's that's a big. I think you and I and Justin are, are aligned on this, but I would love to hear your your take on that. And does I, it, I mean, is it a one size fits all? Maybe there's a different approach for different types of markets. Yeah, yeah. I I think in the enterprise, like you really have to differentiate differentiate yourself a little bit. Um, uh, but ultimately like the short answer is my take on personalization is like, it's great if it's there, if it's not there, you shouldn't force it. Um, right. you should, you'd be better off spending your time learning about the industry, learning about the workflows, um, yeah. learning about the personas, the titles, the yeah. challenges, the outcomes, the customer stories, like learning all that stuff is like way, way, way more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, than any individual ego boost I'm going to give one prospect because the, the, that's what I, it I is mean, really. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And I, I mean, I discovered this sort of like, um, I don't know when I, when I met Justin, it was really interesting because I had just worked for a whole year, basically like redlining, like running the personalization emails that were more long form, like as hard as anybody could run them. And I was like having trouble getting traction. And I was like, I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. Maybe I'm working you're harder. Those, you're doing these hyper-personalized emails? Yeah, yeah. Where I'm like digging the LinkedIn profile. I'm like trying to, right. you know, like I'm scouring the earth, trying to find like a right. tidbit about them and right. and having artists draw cartoons about them and like all these, <laughs> all these things that, you know, were attention hooks. The one thing that I did find that worked really well is if I sent someone a book. Like if I just drop ship somebody a book, like with no personalization, like I dropped them a book and then I said in my email, like, Hey, I sent you this book. Like I had like a, almost a hundred percent response rate. Yeah. Um, so does it make sense to do that with a subset of your product? I mean, books are so cheap and so fast to send on. Amazon. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends what the ACV is like. Now, you did, know, you, if did you pick this? Did you pick the book based on the person or was it based on industry or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I would try to guess vaguely, or maybe it was just a book that I had read and that I'm, you know, I'm like recommending them a book. It kind of didn't matter, you know? 
Ryan uh, Reiser showed me something uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago he was doing where he was sending, you know, he wrote a book called Outbound Fluff or something. Uh, yeah, Outbound Sales, No Fluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he sends his prospect, his book on Kindle, they redeem it. And apparently in the Kindle invite, you can include a web link. You know, you could type whatever. And he includes a web link to like a, um, a Loom video. And he's like, hey, this is my book. I'm Ryan. You know, and it, he gets a pretty good pop on that. He's, he likes uh, doing that. That's, I thought it was cre pretty creative as well. Yeah. 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 No, I mean. And then you don't have to shit. You, know, you don't have to like, it's not a physical book, but you also get the added benefit of the, of the video. So uh, ultimately, like all of these things can be good. It, it really just depends on like what you need the velocity to be. How many deals does each individual rep? How much, how many deals are they responsible for? And what is the, like, uh, how fast are we burning cash here? Like what's, what is the, the MRR or the ARR on, on these, the total of meetings that it, you're assigned um, because if it's a small number of really big deals, I should put a lot of time into each one of those and right. send the book and, and, and really get nuanced. But if it's like, I've got like a thousand accounts and I just need as many quick transactional, um, meetings as possible, then it's a, probably right. a different strategy. That's right. That's right. Or maybe those thousand you take, you know, maybe you say for the month, I'm going to pick 15 out of the high value ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in that scenario, I'll actually split it, right? Like I'll pick my top 10, I'll pick my top 10 dream accounts, five to 10, and then I'll run automation on another 200 at a time outside of that. So I'm like right. manually hitting 10 of these and personalizing as much as I can and like leaving the voicemails. And then the other 200 accounts, I'm just kind of carpet bombing them and seeing what, what happens, you know, if what's the difference between the 10 and the 200 then what do you, are you, you're, you're kind of going, you're, but you might default to the relevance piece if you can't find anything personalized, but maybe you'll send a 10 a book or something a little extra. Well, see, this is, this is where the, the, the personalization thing falls apart for me is that I, I spent so many hours, yeah. you know, putting, putting a 20 minute email together um, to get it just ignored. And, you know, you do that a hundred times in a row and then one of them hits and then it's like yeah. confirmation bias. It's like, oh, you right, got the result right, right, you were right, looking right, for. Right, like right. it must have worked. But really, right. I mean, you just spent 20 minutes a piece on 99 other emails that didn't work. Yeah. Right. Beck, Beck, Holland, a way seems to... To, Beck, Beck Holland seems to have it down to a smaller amount of time, but it's still the time to research it. Um, I, I did a roadshow yeah, with her yeah, last she's, year. She's, she's like using the, the custom fields and outreach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but you got to do that. You got to, I mean, she, it, that's work. I mean, that's, that's probably four or five minutes right there per rep per, per prospect, I would think. And not I think it, the problem with that is not everybody is on, has those rich profiles. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in, in the enterprise. Like, I mean, you know, I was like selling to the VP of risk at JP Morgan Chase, like VP of risk management. Right. Like, I mean, it's just completely ghosted online. Like they right. don't, they don't want anybody to know what they do at right. all. Right. <laughs> you know, well, that's, like, that's I, a question I had for you, actually, that I was, um, I wanted to ask Justin this, but you just jogged my memory. Um, this came up actually, um, three or four weeks ago, someone was asking me about Justin's, um, route multiply, was it route something multiply? Route ruin multiply. Right. Yeah. Route ruin multiply. And I think one of the questions he's asked is like, how are you handling some, something today? Right. How are you handling this today? How are you handling that now? Yeah. Right. So the, the question came up, when I was talking about this approach and the, the uh, person brought up a good point. It's like, dude, these guys are in IT security. The last thing they're going to tell you 
is like how they handle security shit. Like they're just very apprehensive about sharing how they're doing anything because of security, because of the nature of what they do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you bump into scenarios where, like if you ask me how, how hey Josh, how are you training for a triathlon that I'm sure VP of sales, marketing, whatever, but like, do you bump into situations where people are a little more apprehensive to talk to you? And if so, how do you change that tactic? Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's very flexible. It's like built into the method. The flexibility is built into the method. Like the default is you're selling into the enterprise. Like that's what it was designed to do is like, you know, open the biggest deals in the world uh, reliably. But every time you apply it in a different setting, it has to change a little bit. You know, there's there's some level of customization. You can use this, yeah. that script as a framework, but Right. It might not pour it over completely one-to-one, right. uh, it, you know, and, and even the same thing with the emails. Like I, I preface every time I, I tell somebody about how I write emails, I preface them with the idea that this is what I'm doing today is going to stop working eventually because it is working now, which means other people are going to do it, yep. which means that everybody's going to do it, yep. which means that it's going to yep. stop working. That's, that's what does Gary V say? A marketer's ruin everything. It's kind of same idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like, there's, there's evolve. flexibility. You think of, you think of other stuff. Yeah. 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 This, so there's gotta be flexibility built in. You have to imagine yourself, um, you know, having to, having to bend your own rules a little bit. And that's, I, I think that's why we, we, we talk about a lot about heuristics, um, like a heuristic approach versus an algorithmic yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's not like a recipe. It's not like a, a step-by-step uh, wrote, uh, you know, something you can memorize. It's, yeah. it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of thinking that's involved, like reading and reacting. And, and it's kind of not really all that scripted. It's, you know, you have a general guideline. Yeah, you also think about things like Jeff Bezos was asked, asked this really interesting question several years ago. They were asking him like, what's going to change in 10 years? What's the future? And he goes, a better question is what's never going to change? Like, let's work mm-hmm. on that. Like people are always going to want stuff faster for less money. So we're going to work on that. Like those are mm-hmm. things that are just never going to change. And the thing that's never going to change in sales ever is that the prospect is always going to want to move away from something they don't want or towards something they do want, always. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't talk, we don't, like when copywriters get together, I'm in this copywriting group. All we talk about is how to get to know the market better. That's it. We don't talk about copywriting techniques or words or formulas or any of that stuff, but yet reps don't spend a lot of time talking about how do I get to know this person better and what they're struggling with so that I could, you know, be in tune with them. So I can yeah. feel like, so I could feel what they're feeling. Most reps can't feel what the prospect is feeling. And it is a feeling. Like the people that are really good, high IQs, they actually get sat, like they feel the same thing. They feel the same emotion. They actually will cry. They'll, they'll feel it. Like they'll cry. They'll, they'll, their eyes will water up. Like, you know, but we don't talk about that. We want to do em- templates and cold calls and step on the gas. And Well, yeah, because we want it to be predictable. I mean, right. th- this is something that we wrote about in the manifesto <laughs> silly document that we put together too. But it, I mean, like this, the people that are running the SaaS companies that are going to the VCs and pitching them 
um, they want a, a formulaic approach. They want to be able to say, I sent a hundred emails and I got six meetings and yeah. you know, this is the dollar amount associated with each one. And here's my win rate. And there's a perfect mathematical formula, but in reality, like there's, there's a 0% chance that any formula that you came up with is, is going to exactly match <laughs> um, what happened. But that's the thing, dude. And as a sales trainer and coach, I always, I always say that to people. I said, there's, there's not a, I don't, I'm not going to teach you how to have the force on people where you're going to say something on the phone or write something in an email that is automatically going to catapult you to greatness. You can't control how anyone responds to anything. The only thing you can control is what you write and what you do, you know, and that, that is hard for people sometimes because a lot of times when someone will hire me, they're like, do I, am I going to eight X something? I go, probably not. They go, mm-hmm. what, what, what can you promise? I go, I can promise you'll get a little bit better than you are now. Like that's, mm-hmm. Probably you'll, if, if you do what uh, you're being trained to do and you actually do it, not just get the knowledge, but you actually do it to your point, you know, 30 days, 40 days, whatever, um, you'll get a little bit better. How much better? Don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the truthful answer. What they're looking for is 8X, 6X. I'm like, I, it could be eight. It could be six. It could be none. It could be one. It could be, but it'll, you'll be a little bit better. Just yeah. better. Isn't that all you should be really focused on is, are you making a little more pride? Like, does it feel better? That's what I always tell people. And that's what I put in the contract. I go, if it doesn't feel better, I refund your money. But what does yeah. that mean? Quantifiable? Like, it's not quantifiable. It's just in your gut. Like, does it, do you feel like people are making a little more progress now than they were before you hired me? And that's all you can, that's all you can ask for two or three weeks of training. <laughs> Well, I should be really taking notes um, because you're, you know, you, you've got some experience in, in selling sales training and coaching, you know, it's, you're right. Like, I think the way that you frame the client expectations at the beginning of the engagement really determines your success. Absolutely. How good of a job did you do um, setting boundaries and and laying out the expectations? Uh, Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And I don't think there's, you know, look, there's, um, you know, anytime you spend money on anything, there's a risk. Like if you go buy a car, there's a risk that you're going to hate it. You have to sell it. You're going to lose some money. But you hire a sales trainer, you might, it might not, for any number of reasons, might not work out for whatever reason. Um, you know, it, it's all a risk. You know, so the, and people will say like, do you guarantee your training? I go, 100% I do. I'm, I, I might be the only sales trainer that does it. They go, what's your guarantee? I go, if you don't feel like you're making more progress, and you've done the work after 30 days, then I'll give you all your money back. Yeah. Now I have a bunch of questions before I work with you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I want to make sure you know who your, who your ICP is. I want to make sure you know about your customers. I want to make sure you actually have lists of people. Like there's a bunch of things, but like, I'm very confident, extremely confident that if you have those requirements and you do the work and we see evidence that it's happening, you will start more conversations. How many more? Don't know more than you have now. How many more? Don't know. Yeah. Who, so who much of your to, stuff. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? You do. It's, it's so feeling. mindset heavy. Yeah. It's so yeah. much through and through. It's like very, very mindset heavy. And right. I, right. I guess I never realized how big of an impact that actually had on my own performance. What yeah. my own mindset oh, yeah. was like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's everything. Well, think it, think about it. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine last night about clubhouse. She has it. She's a personal trainer. I go, look, I'm on this platform. I think this would be great for you. I was kind of telling her a little bit about it. And she went off for seven minutes of all the reasons why she doesn't want to go on there. And guess what? She's never going to go on there. 
That's mindset. That is a hundred percent mindset. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, you're like, I'm going to go try this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can learn something from it. Um, someone else I went on there, I went in there, I went into three rooms and they all, and they sucked. Fixed mindset. Growth mindset is let me look at some more rooms. I, I said to them, I go, is it possible of the thousands of people talking about stuff that there are some smart people like fucking Chris Voss was on there last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not that he's the greatest thing in the world, but like there's high caliber people on that platform. Is it possible that they're on there and you just haven't met them yet and are following them? Cause if you meet and follow a high caliber person that you like, every time they're in an event, you're going to get notified. You can go and listen to them. Like, is that possible? But some people with the fix, I, I went and tried it three times. I went into three rooms and they all sucked. I don't, I don't get yeah. it. On, like I had this with Justin on, on LinkedIn. What's the ROI? I go, there was no ROI for me when I got on LinkedIn for the first time, zero. Clubhouse reminds me exactly of LinkedIn where I was three years ago. No ROI. Rewriting, posting, fucking crickets. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. I went on Clubhouse. I had zero followers. I went on Clubhouse six days ago. And all I'm doing is I'm just doing workshops on cold email, cold call, mindset shit, how to explain what you do. Same stuff I do on LinkedIn. I'm just doing it on, on Clubhouse, right? So today, so seven days, went from zero to 703 followers in, in, in seven days. And I'm only on there three days a week. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine if I kept at it in, I don't know, six months, I'd have 6,000, 5,000 followers. I have 48,000 now on LinkedIn. Like, I think there's something to clip out. Like if you're a kind, like I was telling Justin, I'm like, come moderate, like get on there, like try, spend some energy on it. It's so much better than LinkedIn for so many reasons. First off, it feels better. Like the, the whole vibe of it, the whole idea that you can actually talk to people. The only thing I don't like is you can't record stuff. So your asset is gone when you're finished. Mm-hmm. You know? So hopefully they'll change that. But like from a teaching perspective, like I'm calling people on the stage, they're, we're role-playing cold calls. We're writing emails. I tried doing a LinkedIn live. It's so fucking clumsy. Like the comment stream is going by so fast. I can't see anything. I can't like with, with clubhouse, I invite one person on the stage. We work together. Everyone listens, learns. Then they they go back. I put them back into the audience. I call up another person. Then I'll call up two people. I'm like, okay, Linda, now you coach John. Like it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not every room, of course, but like, I mean, I'm really bullish on it. I really think it's a phenomenal, like, it's just so well done. Like it's, and and it works flawlessly. Like the audio is really good. Yeah. Have you been, have you been, have you like dabbled in it at all or not really? No, because I switched to a Google phone. I have the Google oh, Pixel. Oh, yeah. So it's, okay. it's not out on Android. Just you have an yet. iPad? I do have an iPad and I have an invite for it, but I haven't actually uh, connected. You get on there, dude. There. Did some, sometime when I was a teacher, I realized that I was old. I was like listening to, listening to nineties to rock music in my classroom. And the kids told me I was listening to old people music and it just dawned on me. I was like, Oh, I got it. I'm not connected to you guys anymore. <laughs> well, if you think you're old, dude, wait till you get to be my age, buddy. You'll be at a whole other level. Uh, you're so yeah, you're, you're more hip than I am at this point. Um, hanging out on clubhouse. Um, it, it's one of the, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of interesting to me. I've always sort of like looked at the, the tech and the trends kind of from the sidelines and, and I'll, and I'll buy in once it's um, once it's part of the mainstream. Yeah. But here's the thing, dude, but here's the thing, man, with these platforms, right? Like Gary V talks about this. This is a great analogy. It was such a great thing that he said, he calls it greedy. Like, so he says, Facebook is a greedy platform. What does he mean by that? He means like, in order for you to get reach on Facebook, you have to pay like organic reach on Facebook is not a thing anymore. 
you have to pay to play it. So Facebook is greedy. LinkedIn, mm-hmm. not as greedy. You can post things out like you and you post, I post, you can get reach. Reach is a currency, obviously, right? But in time, LinkedIn turns into Facebook, right? That's why I'm so excited about Clubhouse because it's so new. And if you start now building your reach, once it starts to get popular, there you are sitting with, I don't know, 15, 20K followers, whatever it is. And you've just got more, like reach is really the, like if I'm you, Patrick, you're going to work with Justin, you're going to end up doing a bunch of stuff. You're a young guy, right? The one thing that you should be working on is reach. Like to the extent that you can post every day what you're doing, like if I was you, this is what I would do. Every day, every day, four days a week, I would post, doesn't have to be a video, what you're learning. Mm-hmm. But I do it fucking consistently, dude. Because in a year, you'll thank me. It's, it's a yeah. currency. It's a currency for if you want to sell an information product, if you want whatever the hell you, a job, whatever your thing is, man, a book, whatever it is. But the reach, man, is, is worth a lot. And you're well, in a unique position to do it. You make a really good point because it's like the two LinkedIn posts that you made um, uh, from our conversations the other day got so much more traffic and attention than anything else that I put like hours and hours into over this last three month period. And all you had to do was like, you know, two, three clicks. There it is. That's that's right. You know, that's, that's the, that's the power of the reach dude. And you can get that if you're, if you, and you're in a great position to do it, you actually have, what I, you know, people, sometimes people will say to me, I've been posting every day. I'll read them like, yeah, but your stuff's shit. Like, it's not about consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to be consistent, but you actually have to have something to say that's interesting. Like, you're interesting because you're in the work, you're in the weeds, you're in the shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a point of view. And, you know, you saw those, like, I post videos of people all the time and get no traction because they're not interesting. Sometimes I'll tell people like, hey, I, I just can't post this because it's just not, there's nothing there right? Mm-hmm. Like what I'll do is I'll interview you and I'll take like the best four minutes. Like we talked for, I don't know, 45 minutes. I took the best four minutes, put it up there. Like, but you should be like, I don't want to tell you what to do. Who am I to tell you what to do? But I'm just saying like, if I'm you, to me, if I was, what I wish I would have known seven years ago is, re, is like the, the power of reach and the power of producing your content. You don't have to overproduce it. Hey, this is something I'm working on. I'm experimenting with this. Here's an email road. Here's my process. Here's how I handle this. Just day in the life, like what you're doing. Just start writing it every day, dude. And yeah. I'm telling you on LinkedIn, I'm telling you, dude, in six months, you'll see your follower count rocketing up. And then you can put a link in your bio to some shit that you're selling. Like the fucking badass guide or whatever the fuck you want to sell. doesn't matter. You, you like might remember it. this. Um, there was a, um, oh, uh, uh, I, just for, I just forgot the name of it. Um, anyway, anyway. Uh, I I agree with you a whole lot. I think where my pushback is, is I just try to be myself on the internet. Um, I I feel like I've kind of gone down the road of, of um, like trying to build an audience. And then I, I, for me anyway, I end up getting too sucked into it. It becomes too much of my attention um, so that, you know, other things are not getting as much of attention. And I eventually just hit this point where I was like, okay, I'm going to turn off all the, all the notifications on LinkedIn. I have to be on this website to do my job. Right. But I don't want to be distracted all day. I get it. But here's the thing that I'm trying to have you consider. This is a, um, think about like investing in the stock market. Like this job you're doing now for Justin's going to last. It's going to, you know, it's not going to be your whole life. Like you're young, you're going to do a lot of things. 
But this reach, even if you did it, Patrick, like once or twice a week, and I'm not saying you have to you have put a lot of thought into it, just like stuff that you, that's just top of mind, just you, just your ramblings, your musings. Mm -hmm. Just like if you did that, this reach stuff is going to help you long-term. It's not, it's like, it's just something, it's, it's such an asset to have. Um, and you're young, dude. If you just worked on this, otherwise you're going to be, you work for Justin, you work for somebody else. You're kind of working for a paycheck, which is nothing wrong with that. But with the reach, you can actually, you know, if you want, if you have a desire, you can create these assets that are, that are divorcing your time for money. Like right now you don't make money and I'm not bashing your job or what you do. It's phenomenal. But right now you, you have to work to make money, meaning your hours. You're mm -hmm. bound by your time with these assets that you create, whatever your thing is, whatever your information product is, you're, yeah, I think you're uniquely qualified to do this. Like if you produce the series of videos on whatever, whatever they were and you put it up there for $60, there's a percentage of people that are going to click on your profile after they see your content. There's a percentage of people that are going to buy it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's a longer term thing. You don't have to do it every day, but I would really have you consider it only because I feel so strongly about it because I've seen it. Like maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to invest in like, I don't know, 10 or 15% of my week in putting some content on LinkedIn, whatever it is. It's a really interesting perspective that I have too, because it, being in one of the in-betweener generations, like I wasn't yeah. quite Gen X, I wasn't quite millennial. Um, you know, I was like sort of like just in between. I got to see a lot of different types of technology evolve. And this, I remember what I was going to say. One of them was um, social media. Like when I was in high school, you know, early in high school, it, social media wasn't a thing. It was, was not a part of the vernacular. Like if you said social media to somebody, they wouldn't know what you were talking about at all. Um, it, you know, at one point we had a, a website called Live Journal. That was, that's what I thought you might remember. Do you remember Live Journal? No. What is that? It was, it was like one of the first um, blog sites that got really popular, like before MySpace, I, I think, you know. Um, and, and all it was is, is people like writing in a journal, except they could let all of their friends see it. Hmm. So it was actually quite different from writing in a journal because it's not private at all. It's, um, right. communicating with all of your friends, but that was sort of like the inception of the, uh, you know, the, the modern day social media, um, thing that kids have to deal with, you know, they, they, they're going to school, everybody's on Instagram and wow, oh, man, it's like a whole other can of worms that I didn't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, but the way that you were explaining that, like just kind of writing my musings down, you know, two or three times a week and just yes, giving it an Patrick. honest take. Yes. Yes. Dude, don't overthink it. And here's the thing, dude, that I also want you to do if you're open to this, when you write your musings down, put them in a Google doc, paste it into LinkedIn. The reason I'm having you do that, and I learned this the hard way, is you lose stuff in LinkedIn, like you, it, it, and it's hard to get it out. And mm. what you're going to do is take your musings, categorize it by theme or whatever, and then turn that into a PDF after you have 10 musings, put it in your profile and sell it for 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. Just like, or whenever you want to do it, whenever you feel like you want to do that, but, but have it in case the day comes where you're like, hey, I got, oh my God, I I remember I talked to Braun like a week, like a year ago. I've been doing this thing too. That I got like 18,000 followers. I think I'm going to take my musings and put, make it into a PDF. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, as you get older, this is the thing that you don't maybe know at your age. As you get older, maybe you won't like at my age, maybe you'll be different than me, but 
I need my time. I need to create assets that divorce my time from money. Yeah. The only way that I know how to do that, because I'm not a programmer, I can't make software, is selling information products. It's the only yeah. way I know how to do it. Right? So the, the information products have been phenomenal. You know, you go to bed, you wake up, and you see, you see six, 800 bucks of sales in your, in your PayPal account. You know, while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's not instant money. You have to you work on it. You, you, you put your musings out there two or three times a week. You just repurpose that because people, and you might think to myself, well, why would people pay if it's on LinkedIn? People always pay for organized information. I can't find it all on LinkedIn. People tell me this all the time. Like, yeah, I guess I could scroll through LinkedIn, but I fucking don't want to. For 200 bucks, I'd just like to have your thing. And I want to support you because I've been reading your content for so long. And, I, and to me, there's value in being able to see things in an organized and categorized way. Mm-hmm. You know, so now, you don't have to, re, you have to re, revamp it at all. The, this is a lot of the um, older, wiser experience coming through from you because it even just reminds me of even when I was doing like physical labor jobs, like some of the guys that had been around for 20 or 30 years would outwork some of the young guys that were all like young bucks in, in shape and giving it a 110% all day. And, and they couldn't figure out like, how are these older guys that have been working for way longer that have like more wear and tear, how are they outperforming me? And it's because they were, they were more efficient in their movements yeah. um, in, in every step of the way, you know, instead of uh, filling the truck all the way, they might fill it 50% of the way and then go to the next one. Cause they know that the next ship and the, you know, there's some level of nuance that's there that's helping them gain an advantage that, um, you know, people that are newer aren't necessarily going to see. And it just, it, it feels an awful like that listening to you talk about it. Well, it's actually a little bit different because that you're still um, trading your time for money. What I'm trying to instill in you is there, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to value your time a lot, especially as you get older. Like to me, like I lost my dad at 52. So maybe it's a little bit more heightened for me. I'm 51. But like to me, like I have the flexibility now, if I want to go to the beach for the whole day and fuck around, I want to swim, I want to bike, I want to run, I don't want to do anything. Like, because I have an asset, that information product, that guide, um, I can do that. So what I'm trying to instill in you, even though you might not want it now, you got the full-time gig, you're doing great, you love it, it's awesome. There may come a time and then you're going to be 30 or 40 before you know it. I don't want you to start then because then you're going to be out of it, right? You, you're going to have mm. to start. Like I talked to a lot of people in their 40s, and like that's, it's harder. In your, your, your age, it's like when you invest in the stock market, like you have the luxury of time. It doesn't matter really what Fortune 500 company you invest in. You have the luxury of time. Everything's going to go up. You can't make a, a wrong bet. The only wrong bet is if you're sitting on cash at your age. Like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only wrong bet you have. Everything's going to be fine. You're young. You have the luxury of time. That's the same with this reach stuff. Like you're in your years now to be able to put this content forth, put it out there. I mean, you saw what happened with these two videos. That was just two videos. Yeah. Like imagine if you just did that once a week for now. Like, and, and here's the advantage of even once a week, people look forward to it. So hey, every Wednesday I'm doing this, you know? And then maybe, yeah. you know, and, then just, and then just put it in a Google, please put it in a Google doc. I, I can't tell you the amount of freaking content I lost on LinkedIn. I can't, I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's so frustrating, but just yeah, put it on a Google doc, paste probably it Probably could have been published twice oh. over. Dude, it's just, I just made a mistake. I didn't realize, I didn't realize I couldn't get stuff out of LinkedIn. I mean, you can't get it out. I mean, they have an export feature that does not work, plain and simple. It just, stuff disappears. But you know what, whatever, yeah. dude, you, 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 put it, you put it in a Google Doc, 
say you're commit to yourself and do it once a week, once or twice a week. And dude, you will, you will call me back in a year and you will thank me. You'll have the option. Hey, maybe I want to sell this thing. Not saying you have to quit your day job, but maybe one day it turns into something like, Hey, you know what? This is throwing off enough income where you get to the magical place that I'm in, which is your income covers your expenses without you having to spend your time to do it. That's mm-hmm. a magical place because now you have the freedom to do what you want. Maybe you want to still make cold, cold, whatever, but you have the option. And you're young enough. What are you, 20-something, 30-something? 35. Yeah, dude. I mean, Jesus, buddy. The, the reason I'm pushing you hard on this, dude, and I, hopefully I'm not coming across as uh, you know, bel- bel- belating this point, is that you have, you have the talent, dude, and you're at the right age. And you've got something to say. I mean, you've got the per- a lot of people I talk to want to do this, but they don't have anything to say. Well, you know what happens to me all the time now is a lot more people are paying attention to me than I thought or than I would have ever imagined and already. And I'm not, I'm not even really promoting myself. That's exactly right, dude. That should motivate you right there. I mean, look at that. Look at the, go back to those posts and look at the comments and the comments were people that knew you. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like people were watching that for the first time. I mean, if I recall, most of the comments were referencing that people knew you. Patrick's the goat. I created this, but like, Imagine if you just put a little energy into this. Like what I'm trying to see is like not to have you work for the man all the time. That's all I'm saying at your age right now. Like you, you might for your whole life, but I just want you to have the option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've definitely given it a bunch of thought. I think when I was at full cast, I, I was like really into the LinkedIn stuff because I was basically like, I don't know. I was trying to do marketing for the company and business development and, you know, the operation side or whatever. I, I was spinning a lot of plates. And then and I, th- and I think that's where I got the idea that it was more of a distraction than anything else, because it's, it's a, it's not really a short-term gain. It's like, no, you know, yeah, not short-term, but that doesn't, but that Patrick does not mean it's not a distraction. Like investing in the stock market. Thank God I'd started doing that when I was 19. That's not a short-term thing. Mm-hmm. But freaking thank God, dude, I'm 50. Thank God I did that. Like, thank God I did that. The magic of compound interest, dude. You know that. You're a math yeah. guy. I mean, that's, yep. that's what it is, man. Anyway, bro, I got to go cook dinner. Okay. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. It was a great chat, honestly. Like, it was just super natural. It went by really easily. So that, that was cool. All right, buddy. Have a, good, have, a good, have a great weekend, buddy. All right. Thanks, Josh. Care, All right, man. See ya. Thanks for listening to SalesCast, the only podcast from the fourth and fifth dimensions of a black hole sunlight sound garden. <laughs>